It is the best-selling book in history. No volume ever written has been more loved and quoted. And its words, sometimes simple and sometimes mysterious, should always be studied carefully. It is the Bible, the Word of God. Welcome to Bible Answers Live, providing accurate and practical answers to all your Bible questions. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this broadcast, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, here's your host from Amazing Facts International, Pastor Doug Batchelor. Hi, listening friends. Would you like to hear an amazing fact? In July 2018, an Indonesian teenager, Adelai Adling, was minding his floating fishing hut when he awoke to find himself drifting alone far out in the ocean. During the windy night, the rope of his rongpong snapped. A rongpong is a little hut about six feet by six feet on a floating raft with no motor, paddles, or steering. During the first few days drifting at sea, he survived on his meager food and water supply. But then he turned to eating raw fish and drank salty seawater he filtered through his clothing. In the 49 days he was adrift, up to 10 ships passed by, but none of their crews noticed him. Alone at sea, he sang Christian songs, read the Bible he carried, and earnestly prayed that he would live to see his parents again. He admits that at one point he felt so depressed he considered drowning himself, but he kept going through prayer. His mother told the news agency, AFP, how she learned of her son's disappearance. His boss told my husband that he went missing. So we just surrendered to God and kept praying hard. On the 31st of August, he spotted a Panamanian coal ship that recognized his signals of distress. Mr. Adelang was unaware that he had floated all the way from Indonesia 1,200 miles to the waters of Guam in the Pacific. The crew of the rescuing vessel gave him water, food, and a change of clothes, and Mr. Adelang stayed with the ship for a week until he reached its destination in Japan. Two days later, his prayer was answered and he was reunited with his family in Indonesia. You know, Pastor Cruz, that's just an amazing story of survival. And it is. Uh, <laughs> 18 years old, and he wow. was able to do that. And the loneliness, can you imagine? Mm. 59 days. And it, it reminds me of that verse. He spent the time praying, and he providentially, he was a Christian. A lot of Indonesians are Muslims, but he happened to be a Christian. And that promise in the Bible called upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you will glorify me. That's, by the way, Psalm 50, verse 15. Reminds us that uh, God answers prayer. Yes, he does. God uh, God delivers us when we call out to him um, in our prayers, in our everyday lives, but also there's an ultimate deliverance that's coming, uh, and that deliverance is at the second coming, right, where God's coming on something even bigger than uh, a ship. <laughs> He's coming with the clouds of heaven, with all of the angels to deliver all of those who call out to him for deliverance. And on that, if you want to learn more about God's ultimate deliverance, we have a study guide for you. So if you want to call in and get this free offer on ultimate deliverance, a study guide, um, you can call 1-800-835-6747. Or if you want, if you have a phone, you can just dial pound 250 
and say the keyword Bible Answers Live and ask for the Ultimate Deliverance Study Guide. Amen. Well, as you've noticed, Pastor Ross is off tonight. Pastor Aaron Cruz, who is one of our associates at the Granite Bay Hilltop Church, is joining us tonight. And Aaron's been here two or three times so far. This will be my third time. Third time. Amen. <laughs> Good to be back. And uh, so we're going to begin with a word of prayer. All right, let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we're so thankful that you are our deliverer. Lord, you, you saved us on the cross of Calvary. You offer your salvation freely to all, and we're looking forward to that ultimate deliverance uh, when you come through the clouds of glory. Now, Lord, as we spend some time uh, fielding some questions about the Bible, about you, Lord, please give us direction and wisdom as we direct people to your truth in your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's see, who do we have lined up, Pastor Cruz? All right, our first caller for today, her name is Debbie. So Debbie is calling in from Canada. Hello, Debbie. Welcome to Bible Answers Live. Are you there? Hi, pastors. How are you doing? Doing great. Thanks for calling. Okay. I called last week, Pastor Doug, and we were talking about organ donation. Mm -hmm. And I have the second question to that is, what's your... um, theory on, or the Bible's theory, on cremation? Okay, good question. We get that question from time to time, and and I'll just mention quickly, Debbie, I'm assuming you can get on YouTube. Uh, I did a YouTube this last year, because we we had that question several times on, uh, is cremation biblical? And I'll have a lot more information there than I can share briefly here, but I will tell you just in a nutshell that typically in the Bible, the Bible example for burial is, is burial, I should say, the, you know, the way that they dealt with uh, the dead. That's not to say a person who's been cremated can't be resurrected or that it's classified as a sin anywhere. But uh, the typical example, it says, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, it talks about, about them being buried. Moses, God buried Moses. Um, and then, you know, in the resurrection, it talks about those sleeping in their graves, But you do have examples in the Bible of people like Jonathan, who we expect to see in the kingdom. And he was, uh, after he was killed by the Philistines, his body was recovered and cremated by the men of Jabeth Gilead. So you've got at least a couple of examples in the Bible of people that were burned, but they're certainly going to be saved. So that's that's what the Bible really teaches about it. And the reason that uh, most of the the, uh, early Christians and the Protestant Catholics both, they saw that the pagans were cremating they thought that man is made in the image of God, and even in death, because man reflected the image of God, that should be treated sacredly. So they chose burial. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you so much for calling, Debbie. All right, well, uh, we have one Debbie that called in, and believe it or not, our second caller is another Debbie, but this one is Debbie Smith calling in from California and says here, Debbie, this is your first time calling in. Welcome, Debbie. Are you there? Yes, hi, I'm here. Thank you. Hi, Debbie. What's your Bible question? Well, I don't know if it's necessarily like a Bible question, but I kind of, I don't want to make it like a drawn out, long drawn out question, but I wanted to know, like, what do you do when you feel like you're lost and like your faith is like not as strong and you don't really understand the Bible like you would want to? as well as wanting a relationship with God also. Well, I, yeah, I'd say first thing, that's wonderful. If, uh, if you're feeling that hunger, that's uh, 
that's a beautiful thing. And uh, there's, there's ways that a baby grows. You know, once a person is born, they need to breathe, they need to eat, and they need to rest. And, uh, you know, that's also true with us when we come to God. If, if we pray, Debbie, and we say, Lord, I want a new beginning. I want you to come into my heart. Uh, I'm tired of my life of sin. I I'm, I'm, uh, feel bad about my mistakes, and we've all sinned. And you ask him to forgive you. He forgives you and gives you a new beginning. You repent of your sins. And then you begin to breathe. That's prayer. And you eat. That's reading the word of God as the bread of life. And then start sharing your faith. You exercise. When a baby does those things, they're going to grow. So do you mind my asking, Debbie, have you made a decision to invite the Lord into your life and to get a new beginning? Um, I feel like I've tried, but maybe I haven't used the correct terms. Like how you put it sounds completely different from how I said it. Well, it, you know, the Bible's pretty simple. It, uh, it says that, first of all, we have all sinned. And the penalty for sin is death. Uh, sin is just uh, selfishness, and it, it, it ends in death. Uh, Jesus died for our sins, and he rose again, and he's alive today. And he says if he'll send his Holy Spirit to be in our hearts, he gives us peace and forgiveness. And then we feed our Christian experience, and you grow in the Lord by the reading, praying, and living the life, sharing your faith. Uh, would you like to do that now? And get a new beginning? Yes, because I, I I do. I just feel like sometimes I don't understand it. Or maybe I try to read the Bible like it's a book also. And then it's like, I'm sorry, I know it's a lot. Um, then another thing is like when I ask God to forgive me, I know he forgives me, but I don't forgive myself, it seems like. Well, who's the more important judge, you or God? God. Okay, so if God forgives you, then you cannot put yourself at a higher tribunal. His forgiveness is the most important. So you, you need to forgive yourself. Because if you're a new creature, if you're born again, then the old record is gone, right? You're a different person. Yes. So with a new birth. Hey, Debbie, could I pray with you? And then I'd like to recommend that you sign up for the Amazing Facts Bible Study course. It's free. Let me have prayer with you. And then Pastor Cruz will tell you how to do that. Okay, thanks. That okay? Yeah. Yeah. Father in heaven, I just pray you'll be with Debbie and any out there like her that are listening that want to get a new beginning, that they'll just come to you, accept your forgiveness, that they can be for, uh, forgiving themselves, and then just have that peace that comes from a new life as they repent of their sins and keep their eyes on Jesus. So be with her and bless, and we thank you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And uh, yeah, Debbie, if you want to get a, uh, what you were asking is, you want to understand God better. You want a new beginning. You want to study the Bible. And a great tool for understanding the Bible are the Amazing Facts Bible Study Guides. And if you want to get those, you can call in right after you get off the line with us. Call in 1-800-835-6747. And there uh, you can ask for, hey, get me some uh, Amazing Facts Bible Study Guides, and they will hook you up. All right. Thanks so much. Who's next, Pastor Cruz? All right. Our next caller is Tom calling in from California. Hello, Tom. Are you there? Yeah, well, I just want to say, first of all, thank you again, uh, pastors, for all of your hard work. Uh, you guys have been a, a true inspiration to my wife and I. Oh, praise God. Thanks so much. And What's your question tonight? So I understand that, <clears throat> that as Christians, you know, believing in Christ— um, 
you know, it is through Christ that he is our mediator to God uh, for our salvation. So mm-hmm. my question is, um, if the Jews did not believe in Christ then or even now, can they still be saved? Yeah, I think so. Um, because, you know, there are some Jews that don't know about Christ and they're not accountable for what they don't know. Um, or it's been presented so poorly that they don't know. Uh, and they believe in God. Now, keep in mind, for the Jews who lived in the Old Testament that are saved, Abraham and all of his posterity, I guess the Jews really begin with Israel and the tribe of Judah. But uh, we know that you know millions of them will be saved. They believed in God. They believed in the Savior. They believed in the Messiah. They just did not know it was Jesus. And some of them never saw the evidence and God judges to whom much is given, much is required. Those who don't know will be judged accordingly. So yeah, I'd say, of course, there can be Jews saved. Now there are some who uh, have had the truth presented to them and they reject it and they've turned to believing a lie deliberately. And, you know, everyone will be judged for that equally. Yeah, and Tom, there's actually a, a, a Bible verse that directly answers that question, and it's found in Romans chapter 11. Uh, here, Paul is using an illustration, talking about the, the Jews as a, uh, an olive tree, and the Gentiles that are a wild olive tree, and they are grafted in to the original olive tree. Now, check this out in Romans 11, verse 24. It reads, For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, speaking of Jews, who are natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? So they, the Jews, gave us the Old Testament, right? Genesis through Malachi, and they have many of the oracles and the prophecies about the Messiah, right? Uh, And so here, Paul says, hey, if they accept Jesus, all who call on the name of the Lord, Romans chapter 10, uh, verse 13, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved, including uh, Jews who accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Thank you. Good. Good answer. Hey, I thank you for that. And, you know, just reminded me as you were talking, uh, Paul ran into 12 Ephesian believers in Acts 19 that they, they were believers in God, and uh, but they hadn't heard about Jesus yet. Mm. So these were Jewish Ephesians. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he said he preached Jesus and they got rebaptized. But they had been yeah. baptized. They were living up to the light. And this is after Jesus has already died and gone to heaven, but they still just didn't know. Mm-hmm. So it, it, after it was presented, then that's a different story. Okay, who's next? Very good. All right. Our next caller is Anna calling in from Oregon. Hello, Anna. Welcome to the show. Hi. Good evening, Pastor. Good evening. So my question is from Revelation 10, verse 4. Okay. And it pertains to when John heard the seven thunders and then a voice from heaven telling him to seal it up and not write what he heard. And I was wondering what, what that means and why, why did the voice from heaven tell him to not write it? And is there anywhere else in the Bible that explains anything about it? Let me read that for our friends listening. And this is in uh, Revelation 10, verse 4. And it says, Now when the seven thunders uttered their voice... I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, 
seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. Now, there is an example in the Gospel of John, and you may remember offhand, where God spoke from heaven, and some of the people understood, but some of the people, uh, you know, God said, this is my beloved son. Son said, no, it was thunder. They didn't know what it was. And so it may be that John is referring back to that uh, experience and are using that analogy to say, there's something that people are not going to understand. Um, also, you've got in, in the book of Daniel, at the end of the book, it said, uh, seal up the book until the not time of the end. At the end, they'll understand. So he's, this message is being sealed up. Now, anyone who says, I know what it was, they got to be a little careful because even John was told not to say what it was. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I think the best parallel would be in Daniel chapter 12, like you were bringing up. In Daniel 12, right at the end of the book, it says, seal up the book, right? And Because it, it's not going to be understood until the time of the end, right? And so there, there's some things that, it, there's a certain timing, right, in which God is going to reveal certain things to us throughout human history. And so we're not quite exactly sure what those seven thunders are, but... Um, some have wondered, is was it the day or hour, day and hour of the coming, or, but it says no one will know that, so it's a mystery. Sorry, you get your money back, Anna, we're not sure. <laughs> well, Anna, thanks so much for calling in. All right, our next caller is calling in from New York, uh, and his name is Anthony. Anthony, welcome to Bible Answers Live. What's your question for us this evening? Hello, good evening, pastors. Um, my question is based on uh, Philippians 2, verse 3, where it says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. And now I'm sure that, you know, the context has to do with, like, our, our relationship with, with others as Christians. But I was just wondering, is there anything in there that can help us with understanding our, the, the biblical principle behind our career aspirations? You know, like people like Joseph and Daniel and Moses, they they had greatness thrust upon them where they were elevated in their positions. But should we strive for higher positions in our at our jobs and our careers, or is there anything wrong with that? Is there a balance of you know, you know? I heard somebody say, well, when you're in your performance review with your manager, is not is no time to be modest. You should kind of, you know. Not, for lack of a better phrase, boast about how well you performed and right. why you deserve a pay raise. So I'm just wondering, what is the balance? Well, first of all, whatever you do as a Christian, you want to do it for the glory of God. Uh, our natural tendency, you know, we all think about ourselves and we all struggle with ego and pride. Um, but I, I do think there's a balance where, uh, you know, it says whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Uh, God will put maybe a desire in your heart to be successful in what you attempt. You read in Ecclesiastes, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And then in um, Psalm 37, it says he'll give you the desires of your heart. And so God may place a desire on your heart to you know, attain to a certain proficiency in something. You might say, all right, well, I'm glad I'm a pilot, but I'd really want to be a commercial pilot. And is that wrong to want to have that position? And once you're a co-pilot, you might say, I'd like to eventually be a captain. So that's just progressing and being successful and efficient. I think that's normal. And you can do that in a humble way. So uh, there's a balance. And I think there's another verse. I'm trying to remember the reference. Uh, Seek not great things for yourself. 
it may be in Jeremiah, but um, so, you know, we shouldn't be doing it out of pride. You're right, David, Joseph, Daniel, by putting God first, he ended up putting them in positions of leadership. Yeah, that's uh, Jeremiah 45, verse 5, um, that you were referring to about secret things. But yeah, uh, Anthony, I think the the key is to, as we're doing our best, right, Uh, whatever your hand finds to do, do with all your might, is the key here, I think, that Paul's addressing in Philippians is that you're not pushing other people down in the process, right? As you're pursuing excellence in all that you're doing, you're lifting people up with you along the way, right? And I think that's the the key biblical principle behind that. Well, uh, Anthony, hope that was a satisfactory biblical answer. Uh, Thanks so much for calling. Uh, Next caller is James calling in from uh, our very own state, California. Hello, James. Welcome to the program. Hello, thank you. My question concerns Revelation 22.11, speaking about the close of probation. Is there a connecting text that tells us when probation will close? Yeah, I think that the best connecting text is if you look in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, it says, At that time, Michael will stand up, the great prince that stands for the children of your people, and there will be a time of trouble such as there never has been since there was a nation, even under the same time. And at that time, thy people will be delivered. When Michael stands up, usually when a judge stands up, that means he's done listening to evidence and cases are closed. And when Christ ceases to intercede for people just before the end of time, there'll be, uh, uh, life may go on for a little while, but the doomed are doomed. Uh, a parallel would be in the days of Noah, when Noah and his family and all the animals got on the ark and the door was shut, life went on for seven more days. But those that were on the outside were outside. Those on the inside were inside. The unjust were unjust still. The righteous were righteous still. So there'll be a period of time, just like before the flood comes, before Jesus comes, when probation's going to be closed. We don't know exactly when that is. But I think it's just before the seven last plagues, which means it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, we definitely don't know uh, from Scripture the exact point in time, but definitely the seven last plagues. If you look at Revelation 16, verse 9 and verse 11, it explicitly says that, that the wicked who the plagues are being poured out upon them, it says they did not repent and give him glory, right? They did not repent of their deeds, right? So here is let the the wicked continue to be wicked, right? So it's at the point just before the pouring out of the seven last plagues. Yep, good point, good verse. All right, James, thanks so much for calling. Um, Our next caller, again, calling in from California, we have Deborah, who is a first-time caller. Deborah, welcome to the show. How's it going? I'm doing fine, thank you. my question is, I'm not sure how to re- repent. Am I supposed, in my prayer, supposed to try to name everything that I've ever done bad in my life and ask forgiveness, or do I just ask one time, hey, please forgive me for all my sins? Oh, great. That's a great, great question. Well, first of all, can you remember everything bad you've ever done? Pretty close. Oh, you got a great memory. <laughs> <Wow>. I can't. <laughs> so the Really bad stuff. Yeah, well... Uh, I, I mean, you know, we probably remember some of the high points. What I recommend is that, and you're really talking not just about repentance, you're talking about confession. 
And both are important. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's 1 John chapter uh, 1, verse 9. So uh, being sorry, repentance is being sorry for your sins and willing to turn away. What I recommend people do is you don't have to remember every sin, but you can remember the categories. Start with the Ten Commandments and say, have I ever been dishonest or lied? Say, Lord, forgive me for lying. Have I ever had impure thoughts? Forgive me for breaking the seventh commandment. Have I ever taken anything that didn't belong to me or stolen? Uh, forgive me for that. And go through the Ten Commandments, spread your, you know, spread a little notepad on your bed, kneel, and say, Lord, I'm guilty of breaking your law. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Help me to walk and follow Jesus now. And he promises to forgive you. Now, if there's something specific, you think, well, the Holy Spirit may convict me about a particular sin. King David prayed, Lord, search me and try me. See if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. The Holy Spirit will show that to you. If you just say, Lord, if I'm forgetting something, God's not trying to trick you and say, aha, you forgot something. I can't let you into heaven. No, if you say, Lord, I'm willing to repent of whatever you reveal to me, he'll show you and then repent of that. And it's not like you're you know, revealing to God a big surprise that's going to shock him. He already knows. But by repenting and confessing, we're doing something. We're asking God to help us get victory in those areas. We're admitting that those things are sins, and it makes it easier for us to acknowledge it and turn away. So I hope that helps a little bit, Debbie, and I uh, trust that uh, you'll experience that peace and freedom that comes when we do repent and confess. Humble yourself, James says, in the, under the hand of God, and he will lift you up. That's James chapter 4. Amen. All right, Deborah, thanks so much for Thank calling. You. We got All time right. for one more, maybe before our break. Yeah, one more caller uh, before our break. We have Gary calling in from Illinois. Um, Gary, hi, are you there with us? Yes. Hi. In Revelation eight seven, it says that the world won by fire and hail, and so I've seen on YouTube hailstorms where uh, size of baseball hail comes down through windshields. And it's all over the place, you know, Illinois, Germany, France, Georgia, mm -hmm. you know, all over the world. But now the last plague in the Bible is one of hail, and it's a size of a talent, 65 pounds. Is there any event, a single single event that causes it go from baseball-sized hail, which is you know very dramatic to me, to 65-pound uh, hail? Yeah, well, just before Jesus comes, it tells us that there's going to be um, a catastrophic hailstorm. Of course, nothing can really survive. Concrete buildings can't survive a hailstorm with blocks of ice that weigh, like you say, between 60 and 75 pounds. Uh, this is just helping us recognize in the same way God destroyed Egypt during the plagues when they would not let the Israelites go, the Lord is going to destroy the world for persecuting his people in the last days, the, the wicked. It hasn't happened yet, but uh, stay tuned. I think we're living in the last days. Hey, listening friends, we're going to take a break just uh, in a moment here, and we have the best half of the program. That's not a prophecy. We're just hoping that we get all warmed up. We'll get more questions. In the second half, uh, you can text your friends right now and say, hey, Bible Answers Live is on. Tune in, and they can join us. We're going to take a brief break. We'll be back with more Bible questions in just a couple of moments. Stay tuned. Bible Answers Live will return shortly. 
Hi friends, Pastor Doug Batchelor. This morning, my wife Karen sent me on a mission. She said, when you're taping your announcements this morning, tell people about my favorite Amazing Facts app. It's called the Amazing Facts Radio app. You simply type that in, Amazing Facts Radio. You can download the app and you can listen to good Christian music, Bible reading, sermons all day long. Keep your faith focused in heaven through the day. Check it out if you haven't done it yet. The Amazing Facts Radio app, you'll be blessed. You're listening to Bible Answers Live, where every question answered provides a clearer picture of God and His plan to save you. So what are you waiting for? Get practical answers about the good book for a better life today. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this evening's program, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, let's rejoin our hosts for more Bible Answers Live. Welcome back, listening friends, to Bible Answers Live. And this is a live, international, interactive Bible study. We've been doing this for about 26 years and it's just a joy to meet so many people, not only now on the radio, but we're on television. And you can be watching on the Amazing Facts YouTube channel, the Doug Batchelor YouTube channel, and Amazing Facts TV. And you can uh, tune into the radio if you're living in California at KWOL. So greetings to all those who are tuning in. Uh, and also uh, those who are joining us and tuning in at Pray.com. Uh, our show is hosted there as well. So welcome, all of you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. You hear a, a new voice. This is Pastor uh, Aaron Cruz. Uh, he's the grandson of the founder of Amazing Facts, Joe Cruz, and he's covering for Pastor Ross tonight. So who's lined up next, Pastor Aaron? Yeah. Uh, our, our next caller here is Marvin calling in from Tennessee. That's where I went to college in Tennessee. So Marvin, welcome to the show. Looks like you're a first-time caller. Welcome. Well, thank you for taking my call. Yeah. My question is on Luke, in Luke 20, actually from 34 through 36, okay. where Jesus explains to the Sadducees that try to trip him up because all these brothers were marrying the one brother's wife. Right. And he says that we're as angels. Does that mean that we won't be as families in heaven? Great question. Yeah, the, the uh, Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection, and so they created a scenario that said, well, what if one woman is married to seven men over the course of her life, and when they go to heaven, who's she going to be married to? And Jesus said, and I'll read this here from Luke chapter twenty. Verse 34, he answered and said to them, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are counted worthy to attain that age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, nor can they die anymore, for they are equal to the angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. And so Jesus is basically saying, you know, he told Adam and Eve to go be fruitful and multiply. They do not marry in the sense that we do here and procreate because God told Adam and Eve, fill the earth, 
The earth is going to be filled now. It'll be populated with the redeemed. But that doesn't mean if a couple that's had, you know, one man, one woman get to heaven, they're going to get divorce papers when they get there. They can still be together and their children and the ones that God has given them natural love for and be a loving family. Uh, so it's not saying that families will no longer have that special love. It's saying there's no more marriage as we know it now where we're procreating. So some people think, oh man, you mean there's no sex in heaven? And I say, well, look, if that's worrying you, I promise you get there and you will be happy. Amen. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, it's a good question, Marvin. Thanks so much for calling. Uh, looking, for your, looking forward to your next time you call in. Our next caller is Abdiel calling in from Florida. Hello, Abdiel, are you here with us? Yes, good evening. That was a uh, wonderful question from the last caller. Uh, Thank you. Sorry, I was just thinking about that. Uh, yeah, that's good. Yes, good evening. Good evening, Pastor Doug, Pastor Cruz. Uh, this weekend actually marks one year since getting baptized, and one thing that I've learned is that following Jesus, albeit the most beautiful thing, not easy. So I commend you both for your ministry all these years, Amen. and thank you because it's helped quite a bit. And your question tonight. Uh, so my question is regarding Job 1.6. Uh, it would probably sound better if you read it. Okay. Uh, Job 1.6, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. Okay, you want me to stop there? Yeah, so, so I have been reading a book uh, very in, by a very interesting and insightful lady author, I think it's called Early Writings, and it talks about a tree of life, Simba's beings, even Enoch is mentioned. So I guess my question would be, are these other beings or sons of God human? Are they angels? Are they a species we can't really imagine? And I guess I almost feel guilty for asking, but if they are humans, would that make us a bit less unique? I'm just curious to know. Uh, yeah, I think that the Lord, yeah, look at all the diversity of life we have on our planet. I'm talking about the animal life. I mean, I like watching nature programs, and it's just amazing to me how many different kinds. I just saw an amazing fact this week that they they went the deepest they've ever gone with cameras and, uh, you know, like 30,000 feet or something. They found fish swimming around. And they don't know how they survived down there. So, you know, from the eagles that soar above the Andes to the bottom of the ocean, God's got so many different types of life. Why would we doubt that there are other forms of life before I came over to the program tonight, I was watching a report on the James Webb Telescope and the information that's coming in, and they're saying it's really destroyed all of their theories about the age of the universe because they said it's much bigger than we had ever dreamed. And um, I believe God has unfallen sinless worlds out there in other creations. You have several references in the Bible where it talks about uh, God, in Hebrews, I think, chapter 2, it says, through whom Jesus he made the worlds, yeah. And you've got uh, all the creatures in heaven it talks about in Revelation praising him. So I think God has got uh, a universe filled with life just because, and I don't think UFOs are visiting the earth. You know, I think the only people involved in what's happening here on earth are God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and angels. It's like the hospital staff because we've got a contagious disease. Once that is dealt with, we'll be able to interact with the unfallen worlds. 
So I appreciate that, Abdiel. Hopefully that helps a little bit. By the way, I've got a sermon you can listen to online, and it's called, Is There Life uh, on Other Worlds? And uh, it's a YouTube sermon you'll just find. Yeah. Again, thanks, Abdiel, for calling in. Our next caller is Junith, calling in from Nevada, our neighboring state here. Hello, Judith. Welcome to the program. What's your question for us this evening? Hello, uh, blessed evening, Pastor Dog and Pastor Aaron. Can you hear me well? Yes, yes, we can. Yes, okay. Um, in the context of Revelation twenty-one eight, uh, one of those who will be thrown in the lake fire of hell are the astrologers. Now, what is the relation of astrology to Babylonia? Because this has been bothering me. Is it the uh, earthen vessels are the ones that the angels that were deceived by the dragon tails, deceived and manipulated, or yeah, is this the embodiment of the snake okay. and the, the Satan as the, the head? Yeah. Oh, sorry. I think we got cut off. Yeah, but I think we got the gist of your question, Junith. Um, when it talks in Revelation about those that are cast into the lake of fire, it mentions uh, people who are astrologers. And now astrologers are different than uh, astronomers. And I was just talking about astronomy. Nothing wrong with the legitimate study of the heavens and the heavenly bodies. And that's how we get our calendar. Astrology and the zodiac uh, does date back, I think, even long before ancient Babylon. And while they kind of divided up the stars in the heavens with these different um, uh, constellations. You know, we can look up and we can see Cassiopeia and we can see Orion in the sky. They saw those as gods and that they had an influence on our earth and that people born under different signs, they were given to certain traits. And there's nothing in the Bible. That's, that's like hocus pocus witchcraft. And the Bible forbids witchcraft. So there's nothing wrong with astronomy, but astrology, when people are consulting the lucky stars to find out their future, is total nonsense. And I'll just give you a personal testimony. I grew up, my mother and all of her friends were into astrology, and as soon as you met somebody, they'd say, what's your sign? And they'd say, oh, I'm a Pisces, I'm an Aquarius, or whatever. Oh, yeah, we should get along. It was, And then my mother even, she began to write horoscopes, and she wrote horoscope songs. She was a songwriter. Hmm. And she and her friends that did it, they said, we're just making this stuff up. And the papers are paying them to write these things. And they said, oh, we don't even believe it ourselves. Hmm. So it's, it's a, the whole thing's a big hoax. <laughs> don't have anything to do with astrology. Yeah. All right, Junith, thanks for calling in. Our next caller is Lee calling in from Texas. Hello, Lee. How are you doing? Hello, pastors. Can you hear me? Yes, we, we can. can. Okay, wonderful. My my question is, um, and I've been wondering about this for quite some time, when the dragon makes war against the saints in the book of Revelation, should the saints fight back? Uh-huh. Okay, that's a good question. If it's a war, I say absolutely we should fight back. Um, if it's a war, if you don't want to be defeated, you got to fight back. The question is, how does the devil make war? Is he making war with bazookas? And hand grenades, or is he making war with deception? Hmm. And in that same chapter, it talks about the serpent that deceives the whole world. And so our battle, our weapon is, and you can read about this in Ephesians chapter 6, it says, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so we fight error with truth. 
Mm -hmm. And the word of God hiding it in our heart. How did Jesus fight the devil when he was tempted? He said, it is written, it is written, it is written. And he quoted from the word of God. So thy word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Store up the word of God in your mind. And that is the best way to fight the devil in the last days. Yeah, and in fact, right there in Revelation 12, it even tells us, right? Revelation 12, verse 11, just a few verses earlier, it says, And they overcame him, that is Satan, by the blood of the Lamb, that's Jesus and his sacrifice for us, and by the word of their testimony, sharing what Jesus has done through them. Um, so that would be the key. And then also, going back to what you reference in Ephesians chapter 6, it's, it's important to note uh, in Ephesians 6, verse 12, the highlight verse here is, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, right? So this is not a physical fighting against Satan, right? But principality is power, it's a spiritual warfare, as Pastor Doug highlighted, and we need to be equipped with Scripture to fight back against the devil. Absolutely. And you know, I think what would be a uh, perfect uh, study for you, Lee, is we've got a book, and it sounded like you might be driving, so if you can just remember the armor of God and when you get where you can make a phone call, then call in and, and ask for that free offer called the Armor of God. Yeah, and you can call in. Uh, an easy shortcut way is just dial pound 250, and the keyword is Bible Answers Live. And there you can ask for this resource. All right, thanks again, Lee, for calling. Uh, our next caller is Aaron, uh, which is my name. Hello, Aaron, <laughs> calling in from New York. Uh, are you there? Hello, Pastor Aaron. Hello, Aaron. <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> What's your question for us? <laughs> My question is meant for Pastor Jug. Okay. Last week, someone had asked whether or not ducks are kosher. And I remember Pastor Doug saying that they are not because they are related to swans. And the Bible says that swans are unclean. Yes. Well, I searched the internet and saw that several websites say that ducks are kosher. Do you think the Jews say ducks are kosher because they are not explicitly forbidden in the in, in the scripture? Yeah, no, I know. I was aware that uh, many Jewish uh, communities say that they argue about ducks. And some say ducks are kosher and some say they're not. Uh, I And there's, you know, there's some areas where I respectfully disagree with the Jews in interpreting scripture. Um, I don't think, for example, in the scripture when it says that you're not to cut the corners of your beard, um, it's not talking about growing the long curly sideburns. It says you're not supposed to cut the corners of your beard for the dead. And so my Orthodox Jewish friends that grow the long sideburns because they think they're obeying that verse, I think they're misunderstanding their own scripture. When you know the Bible says to write the word in your heart and in your hand and on your head, I don't think he meant for us to hang phylacteries with the Word of God on our forehead. He meant the Word of God is to be in your mind. And so I'd also uh, disrespect with my Jewish brethren, and again, I'm Jewish, at least my mother was, that when I read the Word and look at the definitions, duck does not fit into the category of the clean foraging birds. The birds that are clean are the quail. These are birds that go around in the woods and they peck and they eat bugs and seeds. and. It's the quail and the, the pheasant and the turkeys and the chickens. People will be happy to hear chickens are clean, but I would never <laughs> eat it. And I went to a chicken slaughterhouse when I was a kid. I gave up, <laughs> I gave up eating chicken a long time ago. But anyway, so I hope that helps. Yeah, I know that they're going to say, some are going to disagree, but 
I think that it fits, uh, it, King James Version, I think, says swan, mm-hmm. and they're unclean. Mm. Goose, same category, goose, duck, swan. Yeah. All right, Aaron. Well, thanks for calling in. Uh, our next caller is Paul calling in from Tennessee. Hello, Paul. Are you there? Hey, yes, I'm here. Evening, Pastors. Good evening. Um, so I've got a, really, I've got about a million questions, but given this day, I figured I'd, uh, I'd go with one referring to Jesus's resurrection. Okay. Uh, this verse is just really throwing me through a loop. Okay. So I'm in the uh, first Peter chapter three, verse 18 and 20, uh, but specifically verse 19 is, is, uh, what I'm struggling with. It says in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. Who are the spirits in prison? And what, what, what does this verse mean? What what version of the Bible are you reading, might I ask? Um, you know, I've looked at it in a few different. This one is uh, NASB 1995. I've also checked in, like, ASV and ESV and uh, NIV. Okay, yeah, because you added a word that is not in mine. And uh, l- let me just tell you what it says and what I believe it, it means. Paul is talking, first of all, about the, the Spirit. And you read in verse 18... For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Now, the the subject now is no longer Christ, it's the Spirit, by whom Christ went and preached the Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, Jesus preached to the spirits in prison, is not talking about ghosts in prison. It's talking about people who were spiritually imprisoned back in the days of Noah. It says, who are formerly disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. There's a verse in Genesis chapter 6 where God says, my spirit will not always strive with man, yet his days will be 120 years. And so God was saying, back in the days of Noah, for 120 years, God, the Spirit of Christ, same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, preach to those wicked people in prison, those spirits in prison, to save them. And then he goes on, he talks about that, um, you know, they were destroyed, but Noah and his family believed they were saved. So it has nothing to do with Jesus not really dying on the cross, but going into another state and preaching to one group of people that were getting a second chance. That would be totally out of harmony with where the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, then the judgment. You don't die and then get to hear the gospel again. Yeah, great answer. I, I just want to highlight again in verse 19 when it says, by whom also he, the he, the antecedent would be the Spirit, right? right. The Holy Spirit uh, preached to the spirits in prison, right? That would be take us right back to Genesis 6, where the Spirit, right, was preaching through Noah to the spirits in prison. The spirits in prison would just be the wicked people, right? When you look over at Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, this is Jesus quoting Isaiah of what his mission was, right? And here he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the broken hearts, to proclaim liberty to the captives, right? The spirits in prison. The spirits in prison, those who are captive by the sin of this world, right? So that would be what that's referring to. So hopefully, Paul, now, did that make sense? Yeah, oh, ab- absolutely. Yes, thank you very much. I, I've really needed an answer. This has been on my mind all week. So I know. I first read that, and I struggled, too. All right. Our next caller is Benjamin calling in from California. Uh, Benjamin, hello. Welcome to our program. Hi, how are you doing, Pastor? Doing well. How are you? 
I'm doing well. My question is in Revelation 16:12. I've been tripped up a little bit with this. I'm talking okay. about the great river Euphrates, and I'm just curious. I know sea represents people, and usually earth represents barrenness, but what does the great river Euphrates represent in Revelation 16:12? Well, you know, it says in Revelation 17, it tells us the waters which you saw are peoples and multitudes, tongues and nations. And so it's not just seawater, it would include river waters. Now, this is, you know, Revelation is filled with symbols from the Old Testament. You need to know a story. Revelation talks, I'm sorry, I should say the Bible talks about the fall of Babylon in Revelation and in the book of Daniel. The little backstory that isn't uh, specifically spelled out is that when Cyrus, all the Jews knew this story, but when Cyrus wanted to conquer Babylon, he ultimately diverted the Euphrates River so it no longer began to flow under the walls of, of Babylon. A contingent of soldiers from Cyrus snuck under the walls. They opened the city gates and let in the rest of the army, and the inner gates had been left open as well. And so Babylon fell. When the Euphrates was dried up, Babylon fell. Referring to that time in history, you read in chapter 16, this verse, in chapter 17 and 18, it talks about the fall of Babylon, spiritual Babylon. So, you know, so this might be an example where most of the early plagues are literal. There's going to be literal blood and sores and fire. This one may actually have a dual meaning. Um, principally, I think it's saying that when spiritual Babylon is falling, its resources, its people are going to turn on her. And it says that they, they ultimately do turn. The Ten Kings turn on Babylon. But it's, I just think it's an interesting note right now that the literal Euphrates River is drying up. Oh. <laughs> it's in the news quite a bit lately. But I wouldn't look for that as much as I'd look at the spiritual application. Yeah. And um, it, it's the historical account is recorded on the Cyrus Cylinder, right? Yes. That's the archaeological discovery. But actually, there is a small little hint Isaiah yeah of <laughs> Cyrus drying up the river Euphrates and that's in Isaiah 44 in verse 27 it's a prophecy uh, written over a hundred years before Isaiah before Cyrus was ever born and he uses Cyrus's name twice and it says here who says to the deep be dry and I will dry up your rivers God foretold the way in which Cyrus would defeat the Babylonian city Right, so the river Euphrates drying up is a reference to the fall of Babylon. And in the very next chapter, Revelation 16, you have Revelation 17, and what do you see there? It's the fall of Babylon, yeah. right? 17 and 18, the fall of Babylon. So it's definitely a symbolic understanding which we have to compare Scripture with Scripture and understand the spiritual meaning. I think even in Isaiah 45, is it that it, it says that the gates would be left open? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the whole thing is really there. Well, thank you, and hopefully that helps a little, Benjamin. Uh, Pastor, we got time maybe for one more question. Let's see what it is before okay. our break here. Yeah, all right. Our, our next caller here is Lisa calling in from Georgia, and she's a first-time caller. So, hey, Lisa, welcome to the show. What is your question for tonight? Hi, how are you? Doing, Doing great. great, thank you. Awesome. My question is, um, I've always wondered... Is it possible that we, that humanity, could be the falling angels? You know, could we? Is it possible that God has given us a, a second chance to, uh, to get it right? I don't know. You know, because we're born into sin and we just have a sinful nature, and you know, we have to learn to 
to to do right and to to you know be as God has uh, called us to be. So I it's it's just something that has been in my you know in my mind and heart to to ask this question. Yeah, well, it's a valid question. I know there are some churches that teach that prior to our earthly human existence that people existed as angels. And uh, I think that there are even uh, stories of people that die. I mean, some churches that teach that when you die, you become an angel when you go to heaven. Uh, they had that uh, famous movie called A Wonderful Life where this cl- angel named Clarence is trying to do good deeds so he can get his wings. And do uh. you know what the Bible teaches? And by the way, you said in Genesis, I think you meant Revelation when Satan and his angels are cast down. It's in Revelation 12. But... Um, the Bible's pretty clear that angels or humans are created. I think there's a verse in Hebrews that says that he created the angels. They are ministering spirits of God. Mm-hmm. This is God's army. It's his attendants, his staff. And that man, Psalms tells us, man was made a little lower than the angels. We are a totally different order of creation. People did not used to be angels that are now reincarnated. They want to do you any good because he don't remember it. What good is it? So we are unique individuals. God makes every snowflake different. Uh, so certainly he, he knows us. We're unique, one in a kind. Once in eternity, he makes you, you. Uh, we are not reincarnated from some other animal or even angels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think when we piece together all of the many verses about the angels and about humans, it's, it becomes pretty clear that we are, we are not the fallen angels. Uh, we can side with fallen angels, or we can side with the righteous angels, um, but we are a distinct order of being. You know, and I think, uh, I just, as you were talking, I remembered you've got Gabriel, who he appears to uh, Daniel in the Old Testament, and then, you know, what, 600 years later, he appears to Mary. Mm. He hasn't aged. He hasn't come down to earth to become someone else. He's, you know, he lives an eternal life. And so, uh, yeah, these, and fallen angels, there are angels that are fallen. They come to the earth and they're demons, they're devils. And they're down here tormenting people. Now, we do have a study guide. We'll be happy, Lisa, to share a free study guide with you that talks about, did God make a devil? It talks about the angels, good and bad. And how do we get that, Pastor? Yeah, if you want to get that study guide, you can call into 1-800-835-835. 6747, or if you have a phone, uh, cell phone particularly, you can just dial pound 250 and say Bible Answers Live, and there you can ask for the Bible study guide. All right, for our listening friends, we're not quite done. We're signing off for our satellite stations. We'll be back in just a moment with a rapid-fire Bible question, so don't go away. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. We hope you understand your Bible even better than before. Bible Answers Live is produced by Amazing Facts International, a faith-based ministry located in Granite Bay, California. Hello. All right. We are back for a two-minute questionnaire. All right, Pastor Doug, question number one is from Wendy, who emailed in from New Zealand, right? So you can be all over the globe and email in. And her question is, is the phrase age of accountability biblical? No, well, you don't find the phrase age of accountability in the Bible, and you do not find an exact age that is given. There certainly is an age of accountability. In other words, you don't find the word Bible in the Bible. You don't find the word millennium in the Bible, but it's in the Bible. The teaching is there, and you don't find the word Trinity in the Bible, but the teaching is there. 
The idea that a child gets old enough to understand the difference between right and wrong, that principle is in the Bible. I think it's, you can't find Bible support for giving an exact age. Uh, typically, it, when they're old enough to understand the claims of the gospel, the difference between right and wrong, and they hear the call of God and they to respond and be responsible for a decision, they're reaching that age of accountability. God's very patient with children and because uh, he knows they're growing, he made us that way. Yeah, and we're always judged according to the light which we're given. So the older we get and the more mind power we yeah. have, the better we can make exactly. decisions. Exactly. Good. Also, before we go to the next question, I also want to remind anyone, you can email in a question, all right? You just call, you email in to balquestions at amazingfacts.org, and that's how you can uh, get your questions up here. All right, our next question is from Cami, and Cami asks, are there people who are alive right now who are already sealed uh, with the seal of God, or will the actual sealing happen at the time right before the mark of the beast? I think she's referring to Revelation 7. Right. Yeah. Now, well, to just be accurate, there are people through history that have received the Holy Spirit, and, you know, Ephesians tells us, grieve not the Holy Spirit, wherewith you are sealed for the day of redemption. So we all need the Holy Spirit to seal us and settle us in our faith. But then there's a special seal of God that is it juxtaposed with the mark of the beast in the book of Revelation. And that's a seal that's found in the law of God. In Isaiah, it says, bind up the testimony, seal my law among God's people. And in the middle of God's law, you find the word holy only one time. And that's mm. in the fourth commandment. So mm -hmm. Go look that up, friends, and read it. Exodus 20, start with verse 8. Yeah. Okay, next question is by Laurel. And they ask, if forever only means until the end of the age, how then should we relate that to spending forever with Jesus? Yeah. Well, there are places where forever means until a person dies, but I just say you've got to read it in its context. context. Exactly. <laughs> hey, thank you, listening friends. It's been a joy to be studying the Word of God with you. We'll do it again next week. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. To take advantage of the offers you've heard on this broadcast, call us at 800-835-6747 or visit our website at amazingfacts.org. Tune in next time for more Bible Answers Live, honest and accurate answers to your Bible questions.